to receive. I pray, Father, you would render hearts fertile for the planting of the word. And I pray, Daddy, that you would set down in here, that you would charge, that you would saturate, and that you would sustain the atmosphere as only you can. And I ask you for these, those things in the name of Jesus and by his precious blood. And everybody in agreement said? Amen. But right out the gate, let me give you the title of my message. The title of my message is Choose Your Words Wisely. And we know in this day and age and in the society we live in, that's definitely a plus, to choose your words wisely. Please turn in your Bibles with me to my foundational scripture, which can be found in Proverbs 18, verse 21. Chapter 18, Proverbs, verse 21. And for the record... I will be reading out of the King James Version of the Bible. Got there yet? It reads, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Now, tonight I'm going to run you through a lot of scriptures, so please be prepared. Now, you can't get more important than death and life. So God tells us here, much is determined by the direction of, or the power of our tongues, right? So by what we speak and by the words we say. So that tells me that the words we choose are critically important. They have relevance, they have power, and they produce fruit. In other words, they trigger consequences. The one thing I want you to get out of this message tonight is this, that our mouths should line up with the will of God and our mouth should be calibrated by the Word of God. Our mouth should line up with the will of God, and they should be calibrated by the Word of God. Matter of fact, say that with me. Look at your mouth. Talk to it. Say, mouth. Line up with the will of God. Mouth. Be calibrated by the Word of God. Hallelujah. I want to introduce this message by identifying and comparing the number of times that certain words are listed in the Bible. We know that repetition signifies emphasis, right? It's a way we we imbibe internally in a way that we hard-code our memory. So we know that when words are repeated, it's a point of, 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 of importance being stressed. So when the Word of God says something, we should take note. But when he repeats something several times, Uh, Not only should we take note, but the eyes of our understanding should take grasp. Our ears should perk right up. Amen? Amen. So, I researched and found a word count of certain words in the King James Version of the Bible. For example, the word speak, S-P-E-A-K. The word speak occurs 623 times in the Bible. The word say, S-A-Y, occurs 2,414 times. And the word said, S-A-I-D, S-A-I-D, make sure I spell that right, occurs in the Bible 3,619 times, a whopping 3,619 times. So I said all that to say this. So I thought, well, let me compare those words with words that I think are drastically important, and I hope you will agree. For example, the word grace. Grace is important. Unmerited favor of God. By grace are we saved. Well, grace is listed in the Bible only 159 times. How about the word faith? Important. 
By faith, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Those that come to him must believe that he is in the reward of those that diligently seek him, right? So faith is only listed 336 times. Then I looked up the word save. Important, right? Without salvation, we'll never enter into the pearly gates. Save also is listed 336 times. So what does all that mean? It means this. It tells me that due to the multiple variations of the word speak, speak, say, say it, and how many times it appears in the word of God, it tells us the very act of speaking is of paramount importance, right? The tongue in Hebrew, according to Strong's Concordance, is the word laison, laison, L-A-S-O-N. And that means, by extension, language, speech, or noise. So, words we speak are containers of power. They can destroy or they can build up, right? We can speak death or we can speak life. We can speak murders or we can speak miracles. We can speak evil or we can speak edification, right? Hallelujah. So, what I want to do tonight is discuss with you two points, two points only, a lot of scripture. No, two points only for choosing your words wisely. Let me give you my first point. It should not be a surprise. Our mouths must be calibrated by the word. Point number one. Our mouths must be calibrated by the word. Please turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 30. I'm going to verse 19. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19. Very familiar piece of scripture. And it reads, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both thou and thy seed may live. Now, this commandment really is a no-brainer, right? The choices here are easy. And if you couldn't figure it out, God kind of made it crystal clear. He gave us a clue. He said, choose life, right? So in choosing life, we choose God. Choosing God, we choose his will. Choosing his will, we choose his way. Choosing his way, we choose his word. Now, the optimal word in that scripture is choosing. I'm going to give you another Hebrew word uh, for choosing. Choosing is behar, B-A-H-A-R, behar. It means to select the best preferred choice. It also means to enter into covenant with. For example, those that are members of Linked Up Church. You decide to enter into covenant when you made a choice and chose Pastor Gergen and Mr. Trish as your spiritual parents. Hmm? And entering into covenant, you made the best preferred select choice. When a man chooses a woman to marry, he decides to enter into covenant with her, right? Because she's the best preferred select choice, and it don't help that she's fine, right? Or it don't hurt that she's fine. Having said that, when we become born-again believers, we cut covenant with God. Because we, in fact, have made the best select preferred choice. Now, I think, since I'm a man that loves illustrations, and most men love illustrations, I think I'm going to give you a quick illustration. Let's try this. Uh, Young lady, I need your assistance. Okay, in my hand, I have a $1 bill and a $20 bill. I want you to make... No, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. See, my wife, if I do this, she'll snatch out both bills out of my hand and just jack up my entire <laughs> illustration. And let's try this again. <clears throat> I need you to make a choice. You can only choose one. Here's a, $20, here's a $20 bill. Here's a $1 bill. Choose wisely. 
Okay. So what did she do? <laughs> Obviously, she chose the $20 bill. A no-brainer, right? A no-brainer. The question I ask is, why did she choose a $20 bill? Well, she chose the $20 bill because she did exactly what all of us did. We made a quick mental calibration. Right? Could you guys put that slide up? And in making a quick mental calibration, we realized, because we know the standard of money, right? so we know that a 20 is more than a 1. We made the best preferred select choice. Uh, I'm going to give you the Wikipedia formal definition of calibration. And check this out. It is the comparison between measurements, one of known magnitude or correctness, made or set, there we go, with one device and another measurement made in a similar way as possible with a second device. The device with the known or assigned correctness is called the standard. The second device is the unit under test. I have any engineers in here? I was hoping Dexter would be sitting right here so I could say, Dexter's my engineer, but he didn't show up tonight. Okay. Well, engineers understand calibration. So let me give you another example. The wife and I owned a business for about nine years. It was a, a, a freight shipping logistics business. We had scales in our business to weigh freight and weigh packages and all those type of things that we were shipping. Because we used the scales to determine how much we would charge our customers, uh, the scales were regulated by the state of Florida. So, you know, every so often unannounced, we'd have a Florida scale or state regulator that would come in with his master scales, and he would then test my scales. So my scales were the test scales. His scales were the master scales. And what he was looking for was to make sure that the scales were in sync, right, so that I'm not defrauding customers. And, and every time my scale was in sync, which was every time, all the time, then he would put a sticker on my scales, therefore certifying my scales to be legal, certified, and authorized to be used uh, to be engaged in the state of commerce in Florida. I would get his seal of approval. The Word of God, I'll give myself a Bible, the Word of God is in fact our master standard. We are the test units. It's incumbent upon us to measure up to the Word of God. Now, when we're not in sync, when we're not in calibration, we fail the test, and we don't, get God's seal, we don't get God's seal of approval. Murmuring, complaining, frivolous speech, lying, gossiping, questioning authority, questioning authority does not get us God's seal of approval. But here's the good news. Our God is in the recalibration business. He recalibrates, he restores, he refashions, he makes anew. When we do our part and repent, then he'll do his part. We should say it in the, back in the day. I don't know if they say it now. Probably still do. When we put some skin in the game, he's waiting to put some skin in the game. Amen? He's always standing there like the prodigal father with open arms. See, making choices in what we say and in what we do has a price tag attached to it. The price will either be a burdensome cost or a wise investment. Remember the ten spies. We had eight that came with an evil report, two Joshua and Caleb that came with a good report. Well, the evil report was actually evil fruit. 
and they incurred a burdensome cost because of their words. The cost was this. They died in the wilderness. They did not get a chance to enter into the promised land. But Caleb and Joshua, Joshua not only entered into the promised land because they chose words that lined up with the will of God and was calibrated by the word of God, they produced excellent fruit by their word choices. They were able to choose their palatial mountain frontage estates. And they lived ever, ever after in in the land of, I'm oh, sorry about that. Okay, I lost my spot. Okay, so the, Joshua said this. Joshua said, as for me and my household, I should serve the Lord, right? Having said that, let's talk a little bit about what the word is and look at some of the characteristics of the word of God. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Hebrews 4, verse 12. 12. You know, God doesn't like women to make coffee, right? Because Hebrews. Well, I liked it. Okay. It reads, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit, and of the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So we know that the word uh, in John, first the word was God, the word was with God, the word uh, took on flesh and dwelt among us, right? So we know that another title for Jesus Christ is the word. So when people say, all I need is one word from God, oh, one word to get me through, all you need is Jesus, right? Amen. Amen. So what are some of the characteristics of the Word of God? The Word of God is quick. In the Greek, that's zeo, which means to make alive, to give resurrection life. The Word of God is powerful. In the Greek, that is energeus, which means active and effective. You know, we know in Jeremiah, the Word is a hammer to convict, a fire to refine. Bible tells us that the Word is a mirror to reflect, seed to uh, be planted. We know that the Word is a bow for revenge. We know that the Word is... Uh, meat for nourishment, hmm? uh, that is bread for uh, nourishment, meat for men is what I meant to say, and that also is honey for dessert. Basically, that says that the word has what's called efficacy. Matter of fact, I was in a meeting with Minister Trish uh, earlier this week, and we're talking about some, some human resource issues, and she just bust out with efficacy. And I said, Minister Trish, you're taking me back to my Bible school days. Efficacy. Efficacy re- means this, that the Word of God has the power and the capacity in and of itself to produce the desired results. What does that mean? Well, take Romans 10:17 for example. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So when you hear God's Word, it has the power to create faith. Amen? Amen. The Word of the, is also a sword of the Spirit the only offensive weapon in our arsenal. You know, it cuts to pieces the snares of the enemy. The word of God pierces like light in darkness. It's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. The word of God is a divider. It penetrates the innermost parts of our soul and our being. And the word of God is a discerner. It's able to judge at the very core our thoughts, our intents, and our motivations. 
See, the Word of God is our standard operating procedures. We can't operate successfully without knowing the procedures. When you go into a job, the first thing they teach you, they give you an employee handbook, and they tell you what the procedures are, correct? Right? And if you don't know the procedures, you don't know the expectations, you don't know your responsibilities, you're destined to fail. God is the same way. If you don't know your SOP, if you don't know the procedures, you're destined to fail. Uh, the guys that, that work with me, uh, my co-laborers on the staff, will tell you I'm big on policies and procedures. Uh, we've got three maximums that we use to make decisions in, in, a, in our linked-up offices. Uh, number one, we choose to be great stewards. Number two, we choose to minimize costs. And number three, we choose to mitigate risks. I mean, in our meetings, it comes out all the time because everyone understands our SOPs. Turn with me, please, to James chapter 3. Let's talk a little bit about the tongue, a very small member, but oh, so powerful. James chapter 3, I'll be starting in verse 8. And it reads, but the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude or the express image or likeness of God. Out of the same mouth proceeds blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. So man has tamed all manners and species of beasts and cannot in and of himself control the power of his own tongue not by influence, nor by persuasion. See, nothing has been found in all of nature that can domesticate the tongue, and nothing has been found in all of nature that has the same double usage as the tongue. It blesses and it curses. Whether negative or positive, words produce, and and it's not metaphysics, you know, these smart people that try to reason you know, how nature came to be and how man came to be. Spoken words are self-fulfilling. You know, it follows God's principle, one of his SOPs of seed, time, and harvest. We have what we say. We can bless ourselves and bless others, or we can curse ourselves and curse others. We should never say, oh, man, this is too hard for me. I just can't do it. We should never say to our children, boy, come here. You're about as dumb as a rock. What we should say is, you know what? It's hard, but so what? With the help of the Holy Ghost, I can do it. I can get it done. I'll find a way. Hmm? And we should say to our children, son, come here. You know, you're smart. You're full of capacity, and you have the mind of Christ. Hallelujah. Yeah. See, only God and his word can tame the unruly tongue. We make a choice with every word we speak. So choose words that are holy, righteous, and wholesome. So let's take it up a notch. His word, his will, and we know that his will is his way. So that begs me to ask the question. We looked at what the word is. Let's look at what his will is. Please turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We'll be reading verses 16 through 18. 
And the pastor touched on this uh, just last week. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 16 through 18. You there? You there? Rejoice! Ooh, I'm glad they're not in the, in the choir. They're not in the praise team. Let's try that again. Rejoice! Okay, okay. I'll, I'll take it. A lot better. Verse 17. So verse 16 says, rejoice every more. 17 says, pray without ceasing. 18 says, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So we know, see here, that God is not conflicted. He's not confusing. He's not vague. He's not abstract. He makes it as plain. He lays it out as it can be. Number one, he says, rejoice. Two, pray. Three, give thanks. Right? You can't rejoice without opening your mouth. God inhabits the praises of his people. We were made to worship him, right? We are his workmanship in Christ Jesus. Secondly, we can't pray without opening our mouths, right? God is not, we just can't pray anyway when we do pray because God is not really moved by our words. He's moved by his words, amen? And thirdly, we certainly can't give thanks without opening our mouths, right? We enter into his gates with thanksgiving. So choose God's way of thinking, God's way of talking, God's way of doing things, and God's way of living. The blessings, empowerment to prosper are initiated when we speak the words of the master. Now, we can speak and do things our way, or we can speak and do things his way. I've done things my way. I've gotten Johnny Walker's results. And I can tell you, my results are pretty pathetic compared to God's results. Anybody feel that with me? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. See, God can take our all right to good, take our good to better, our better to excellent, our excellent to more excellent, and our more excellent to glorious. So I would rather have it his way every time than to have it my way. Amen? Say mouth. Line up with the will of God. Mouth. Be calibrated by the word of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Turn with me to Luke chapter 1. Let's talk about the story of Zacharias. Zacharias was the uncle of Jesus, the father of John the Baptist. Zacharias was a temple priest. Zacharias and his wife, according to the Bible, were well stricken in age. They were old. His wife was barren. So he prayed, talking, speaking to God, and he said, God, I want a son. God heard his prayer, answered it, and he sent an angel down to speak to Zacharias. Let's pick it up in verse 13. It reads, But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John, and thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth, for he shall be great in the city of the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. And he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to children. And the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. That's a lot of ands. That's what I like about God. He's a God of addition and multiplication. And, you know, and he's not confined to the multiplication addition tables as we know it because he created them. 
To us, two plus two is four. To him, two plus two could be 2,004. I like them ands. Daddy, give me as many ands as you want to in the name of Jesus. So get the picture. Here we have an angel manifesting himself to Zacharias. He tells Zacharias that he's the angel, and, and we know that the angel in the Greek comes from the word uh, angelos, which means a messenger sent of God. So he says, I was sent by God, Zacharias, to give you news of joy and gladness. The angel tells Zacharias, your prayers have been answered, your wife will bear a son, and then he tells him, God even gives you the name of the son, call him John, which means Jehovah showeth favor. Then he begins some of these ends. He says, guess what? Your son will have the favor of the Lord, and he will be born of the Spirit, and he will unify the families of Israel, and he will convert the disobedient, and he will prepare the people to receive Jesus Christ. How much more good news can one man take? That's enough right there to make a man jump and leap, run for joy. Huh? Now look, he's in the temple having a conversation with an angel. You, you best believe if I stop this message and I go over here to this side and, and that God sends an angel to me and we start talking and the angel tells me God sent him to see me, to give me news of joy and gladness and tells me that me and this woman is about to have another baby boy. Don't you know I'd be running around this sanctuary? She'd be running around this sanctuary. I have a football flashback, plow through half of y'all, clip a couple of ushers in the back. Head down this way, knock a few out over there, make my own holes in walls. Come on. But that's what Johnny Walker would do. What exactly did Zacharias do? Let's pick it up and see what Zacharias did. Uh, Verse 18. And Zacharias said unto the angel, Whereabout shall I know this? For I am an old man, woes me, and my wife is well stricken in years. And the angel answering said unto him, I am Gabriel that stand in the presence of God and am sent to speak unto thee and to show thee these glad tidings. And behold, thou shalt be dumb and not able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed. Why? Because thou believest not my words, which will be fulfilled in their season. The season was nine months later. It takes nine months to make a baby boy. Zacharias responded with words of unbelief. His words were not faith-filled words. His mouth didn't line up with the will of God, and it certainly wasn't calibrated by the word of God. See, he was over in the enemy's camp. He said, show me a sign. And the angel said, show you a sign. He says, I'm well stricken in age. The angel said, well, let me, let me respond with my credentials. I stand in the presence of the almighty God. Who in the world are you to speak against the wisdom of God? Who are you, Zacharias? Now, Zacharias is the same angel that showed up to help Daniel. He showed up to Mary, mother of Jesus, and told her about the, uh, predicted the forecoming, the birth of Jesus Christ. Four angels in the Bible, too bad, too good, Gabriel and Michael, Right? Now, Zacharias is a priest in the temple. He knows about angels. He knows about the messengers of God. So God said, okay, all right. You won't shut up, so I'll shut you up. And God stilled his mouth. 
for nine months. My grandmama used to say it like this, boy, you don't made your bed, now you lay in it. Mm-hmm. What was Zacharias really saying, though? If you look at it, Zacharias was saying, but I'm an old man. But stuff don't work like it used to. But have you seen my wife lately? But don't you know they haven't invented Viagra yet? But one small word, three letters, get us into trouble all the time. Because when you use the word but, it negates and erases everything that was said before it. Don't you hate it when you're having a conversation with somebody and you say, well, let me tell you this. Well, they respond, well, well, yeah, but you go right. Well, I feel like, but it just spoils the entire conversation, right? Everybody has a but, B-U-T, and it's best best left behind us, right? Hallelujah. So why was it so important for the creator of the universe to send send Gabriel to speak words uh, to Zacharias? Now, he could have given Zacharias a vision, could have sent him a message in a bottle. Why was it so important for him to speak? And then why was it so important for him then to shut Zacharias up to prevent him from speaking against those same words? Well, I submit to you that God recognizes that we are like him, made in his image, in his similar to his expressed likeness. He is a speaking spirit. We are speaking spirits. His words have power. Our words have power. He spoke his world into existence. By our words, we speak our world into existence. Are you liking your world right now? Does your world need to be changed? Don't like your world? Change your words. So when God sends you a word, what do you do with it? And more importantly, what do you say about it? Your angel may not be Gabriel. Your angel may be Shakira the saint or Bubba the believer. But what do you say about your word? How many of us are like Zacharias? We look at our external insufficiencies and our physical inabilities instead of shifting our thinking and looking through the eyes of our faith and acknowledging God's sufficiency and to receive his supernatural ability. I'm going to skip something and go to point two. Point two is choose wisdom. Choose to be wise or choose to be dumb. Choose wisdom. Turn with me back to James chapter three. I want to be a good steward of my time. James chapter three, let's start in verse 14. And it reads, but if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not, Lie not against the truth. The wisdom descended, this wisdom, sorry, descended from not above. So if this wisdom descended not from above, we know it's not from God, right? Because it's earthly, sensual, devilish. Verse 16, for where envying and strife is, there's confusion in every evil work. See, man's, man's wisdom apart from God is false, foolish, dumb, and it says it right here, devilish, Central uh, and earthly. 
See, anything of the devil can only produce the fruit of the devil. And we know his fruit will always end in confusion in every evil work. So how do we counterattack and eradicate that earthly wisdom? Well, we do it first by receiving salvation, by creating covenant and choosing Jesus Christ as our Lord, our Master, and our Savior. So if anybody's in here that needs to create some covenant, cut some covenant with God, we'll take care of that later on. And secondly, we do it by opening our mouths and speaking the Word of God, by calibrating our mouths with the Word of God and following His SOPs. Hallelujah. Verse 17. Here's a good but, B-U-T. So this but says, forget all that stuff I just talked about, about devilish and, and central words central wisdom. This but says in 17, but the wisdom that is from above, we know that's the wisdom from God. It's first pure, then peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. See, God's words are wise and can only produce what? Good fruit. They are the essence, the nature, and the very being of God. His words represent him. Who said this? I'll be back. (laughs) On the Schwarzenegger. Who said, I have a dream? Who said, I am the good shepherd? Jesus. See, we are known by our words. Our words represent us. Romans 10, 17 again says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So when we hear the word of God... When we hear, when we read, when we meditate, when we know and we speak God's words, we're speaking words of faith, we're speaking words of truth, and we're speaking God's words of wisdom. Okay? Turn to Mark 9. Oh, I'm going down the home stretch now. Getting close to rounding third. Let me set up Mark 9 for time's sake. Here we have a father who's pleading for his son. His son is demon-possessed by a dumb and lunatic spirit. The son has gnashing of teeth, foaming at the mouth, convulsions. He's rolling on the ground. Uh, The evil spirit tried to burn him up, couldn't do it. Tried to drown him, couldn't do it. So the father is beseeching Jesus for help. Now, when you hear a story like that in the Bible, and we're supposed to believe everything we see in the Bible, God said it, it is. Sometimes it's really hard to kind of get your mind around it. So let me tell you what, uh, give you an example of what, uh, a true life experience would happen to us in Denver. Uh, we were part of a ministry in the uh, early 90s in Denver, Colorado. Husband and wife team, uh, pastor and of Pastor Tom, co-pastors in this church. Like this, Thursday night service, uh, uh, the, the spirit was thick in the room and the cloud was so thick you could cut it with a knife, right? So she says, let's have a healing line. So now she's starting at this side, and she's laying on hands, coming down the healing line. At that time, I was uh, like the, the head usher, head MOD, head everything they needed. I was just up there. So she's going down the line. Of course, I'm watching, following. And I get to a certain point, and the Holy Spirit arrests me. You know, you, there's no check like a Holy Spirit check, right? So the Holy Spirit arrests me, and he says, see that guy about five people down? He says, something finna go down. Now, since I'm from Memphis and the Holy Ghost is from Memphis, he said, finna. Right? So, some finna go down. Right? So, 
I look back and I look at Pastor Tom. He's on, this, on the platform. So we do this. So I know the Holy Spirit now has revealed to him what it's revealed to me. So I kind of position myself. Now, she's, she's under the anointing, so she's just laying on hands. You know, she, she's oblivious to what's going to happen. And the guy looks like a regular guy. I mean, we don't see any, any difference. You know, guy about, about my size, maybe a little bit small at the time. So right, and we kind of position ourselves. So right before she gets to him, this guy changes and, and like morphs into this, this demon and this, these voices come out of his mouth like out of nowhere. And he's the center of attention, the loudest thing in the room. He's starting to foam at the mouth. Demonic spirits and sounds are coming out. His eyes are rolling in the back of his head. He's doing one of those type of things, right? So I position myself, and sure enough, because she's still, she's still laying on hands, and sure enough, when she, just before she starts to lay hand on him, he lunges at her, right? Make a long story short, I took him high, Pastor Tom took him low, right? <laughs> so at this point, seriously, at this point, we're about five rows back. So we're back somewhere in here, and we've knocked over all kind of chairs, and we're the center of attention, right? I mean, service stopped, and we're dealing with this guy. So I'm on the top of him. I got my hands on his shoulder and, and my legs, you know, kind of on his upper torso. Pastor Tom has him uh, bracing his legs in his lower torso. And it took all the power. I was a bigger, stronger guy at that point. All the power I had to hold this guy down. And Pastor Neither, who's still oblivious to what's going on, because she's in the spirit. So she just started casting out demons. I cast you out in the name of the Lord. Come out of him, you demonic spirit. You know, and, and I'm the closest to this guy. So I, seriously, literally, I'm seeing under his skin, you know, like faces rolling around kind of under his skin. And as she's casting these demons out, it's like his body kind of contorts. And, and different noises are starting to come out. So about the third demon that's being cast out, I look back at Diane, and she's back there. I mean, she's praying up a storm. I don't know if she's skiing or she's praying, but she's praying up a storm. She's calling on God, calling on Jesus, calling on the Holy Spirit, calling on angels, calling on angels want to be. I mean, she's bringing down the fire, right? So I'm here struggling with this guy and Pastor Tom, and, and all of a sudden, about the, the third demon that went out, my hands went from his shoulder to his neck. So now I got him down. This is true. I got him down by the neck. So Pastor needs to still casting out demons. You come out of him in the name of Jesus. You foul spirit, come out of Brother Johnny, stop choking him. Brother Johnny, stop choking him. Come out of here in the name of God. Is it true? It's true. This went on, I bet, for 25, maybe 30 minutes. This went on a long time. And when she finished and the last demon was out, the guy stood up, looked like a totally different guy. It looked like he had lost about 30 pounds. Seriously. Seriously. So at the end of the day, uh, Pastor Neza uh, is tired. Pastor Tom is tired. I'm bent over. I'm tired. <laughs> Diane came in with a perm. Now she got an afro. She's tired. <laughs> so then, so, so Pastor Anitha says to me, Brother Johnny, I didn't know whether to lay hands 
on him to cast them demons out or to lay hands on you to stop choking them. <laughs> I said, well, Pastor Nisa, let me tell you this. Them demons was coming out one way or the other. <laughs> Hallelujah. So now that gives you an illustration when we read this story. <laughs> Verse 22. Verse 22. Mark 9, 22. And oft times, it says, and oft times it hath cast him into the fire, that is, throwing the son into the fire, and into the water to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. So now, I'm going to kind of paraphrase this quickly because time is getting away. So now, he says, if thou canst do anything. Now, he's speaking to the word made in flesh. He's speaking to Jesus. And if you say, if thou canst do anything, that's just like saying, if it be thy will. And Jesus says, of course, it's my will. It's not about my will. It's about your faith. Right? So then he says, but if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said unto him, because it's not about my will, it's about your faith. If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears in his eyes, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. Now that was a heartfelt prayer. A heartfelt prayer will move Jesus. Heartfelt, where, heartfelt prayer using God's own words. That's how you get good fruit. That's how you get victory. That's how you get reward in the name of Jesus. And his son was healed. How many times do we stand in the face of God's word and speak doubt? Jesus responded with, let's settle this once and for all. It's not about my will because my will is unconditional. It's about your faith. See, if you can believe all things are possible, then the father got it. You know, out of our mouths, we can speak words of unbelief or we can speak words of faith. Words of unbelief bring lack, curses, and damnation. Words of faith bring profit, rewards, and victory. See, we must exercise wisdom. You know, God is up there rooting for us. He's rooting for us. He's saying, choose wisdom. Choose me. Choose to be wise. Please don't choose to be dumb. Using the word of God ensures us victory. God said he will hasten to his word to perform it, and we know that no word of God is void of power. So let me conclude. I'm going to land this plane and bring this message to a close. Last scripture. Turn with me to Matthew 7. We're going to read verses 7 through 8. Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 8. And it reads, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. Anytime you see TH at the back of a word, that means continually. So if you ask continually, you'll receive continually. If you seek continually, you'll find continually. And if you knock continually, the door shall be opened for you. For everyone, that phrase for everyone means you, and it means me. There's no exception to the rule. If there is, it's because of our failure to ask in faith with nothing wavering. The only reason for unanswered unanswered prayer to the Christian is simply unbelief. God's promises are unlimited. 
So if there is limitation in the answer of our prayers, then that means there's limitation in our faith. It's not in God's will, and it's definitely not in God's power. So I want to leave you with four considerations. Four considerations for calibrating the mouth. Very simple. The first one is the letter A. The second is the letter S. The third is the letter K. And the fourth consideration is to listen. A. That A, ask. A stands for ask. Asking implies a need. So inquire of God when you have a need. Don't speak words of doubt like Zacharias. Speak words of faith like Joshua. And be made whole like the one leper, which I did not get a chance to talk about. I kind of skipped that. But be made whole in the name of the Lord, right? Because we know being made whole is better than just being healed. Because I can be healed and not have food on my table. But I can be whole and have food on my table, clothes on my back, a roof over my head, reliable transportation to take me to a reliable job, to bring money back to my family, ties and offering to the church, and to be a blessing to whomever God says, bless. Give me wholeness any time. So God said he would answer our prayers. Two, the S is for seek. Seeking implies a continuous pursuit. So exhibit a never-ending hunger and desire to please God like Jesus. Seek God wholeheartedly and you will find him. Immerse yourself in him and his word and he will immerse himself in you in your situations. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The third, the K is for knocking. Knocking implies a want. God, I want in. God, I want more of you. We must continue to let the glory of God be reflected in our behavior, in our speech, and surely in our actions. Finally, after we have done the ASK, after we've asked, we simply need to listen. God is always talking but are we always listening? You know, isn't it interesting? God gave us two eyes, two ears, and one mouth. And then with the one mouth, he gave us one tongue. And then with the one tongue, he fenced it in with teeth. You know, in Psalms, David said, God, put a watch on my mouth. In 1 Corinthians, Paul said, put a muzzle on my mouth. In Proverbs, Solomon said, he who opens his mouth wide shall have destruction. Mouth, line up with the will of God, and mouth be calibrated by the word of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hope you guys got something out of the message tonight. Hope it was a blessing unto you. Hallelujah. Okay, so now we've come to a special time in the service. I'm going to ask all to bow your heads, please.